Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the entirely too busy to my one job. You only had one job, Jonathan, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? <laughs> that one threw me off. Like, I know I got the words right and I didn't screw anything up, but I definitely missed the intonation. <laughs> I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. It's all right. I still nailed it. I'm going to call it a nail. It's, we're, we're moving on. Hello, hello, Jonathan. Robert's passive ag- aggressive entry into the scripting uh, is is because I've just been stupid busy and I have not had time to do things. So we're running a slightly modified episode tonight because I frankly haven't had a chance to finish getting a game prep for review. And that's on me because my schedule has been bananas with the uh, jo- Jonathan, Jonathan, I meant what I said with the highest respect. <laughs> That makes it all better, buddy. (laughs) If you'd watch Strange New Worlds, you would understand that sometimes you just need to laugh when everything sucks. Oh, yeah. You know, with with that ample free time I've got. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the biggest joke I've told all year. Oh, I didn't do the National Day. No, you didn't. Speaking of people that only had one job. You know Sir. what? I I got distracted by your lack of job, and I was doing other things, and I got I got. Sir, <laughs> well, I will find the national. Yeah, bank. you better start clicky clacking. But you you got to thank our patrons over at Patreon. So do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted by the complete lack of structure. In the next part of the script. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. Daddy screwed up, baby doll. He'll he'll fix it for you next time, so you don't have to think at all. <laughs> That's fair. I appreciate that. I appreciate it, too. Uh, as always, let's let's get this episode started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, and you're helping us chug through this uh, mess of, of life as it is right now. Yeah, let me tell you, man. Teenagers are not great for your social schedule. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that right now. Don't say that. I don't have a teenager yet, and I don't Oh, wanna. it's coming, buddy. I don't want to. It doesn't work like that. You don't get to say that. Ooh, I got a good one for you for the national day, though, sir. I got a good oh, one. This will make you happy. Yeah. This will make you happy. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Hit it. Jonathan, happy National Aviation Maintenance Technician Day. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> the unspoken hero right there. Because if they've done their job right, you'd never even think about them. On May 24th, Aviation Maintenance Technician Day honors the men and women who have worked behind the scenes making and keeping aviation possible. Uh, Created by Charles Edward Taylor, a machinist by trade, Uh, he built, uh, oh, he built the uh, the engine that did the, uh, uh, the Wright Brothers airplane. That's cool. Well, there you go. So this day is in honor of him and Jonathan when you post on your social media of all the stuff you're doing for this. Make sure you use that hashtag. Hashtag Aviation Maintenance Technician Day. Well, there you go. Does that make you happy? You does that make you happy? It does make me happy. That's really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could have done National Yucatan Shrimp Day, but, you know. It seems oddly specific <laughs> to a very, <laughs> I know. very small portion of the world. I know, I know. Believe me, I know. But I, that, that one seemed up your alley. 
need to I need to give you a little something because I'm gonna tear I, you I don't down even like shellfish. I don't like fish at all. It's it's a texture thing. It's a texture thing. You know what really creeped me out? What? Crabs. Like legitimately, they creep me out. They have way too many legs. They walk sideways, and their eyes are on stalks. And the way they kind of clicker clack it, you know, click clack at you as they they walk sideways. Also, there's several types of crabs that are asymmetrical, which in and of itself is wrong. And why do you need so many legs? I do fine with two. The dogs and cats do fine with four. That should be the cap. As soon as you go over four legs, it all breaks down because that's when you get bugs and insects and all that creepy crap. No, thank you. So fun fact, Jonathan, you know how every game master has their thing, you know, mine is is better not be crabs. Giant bugs. No, it's giant bugs. I had my I had my players get attacked by giant lasso spiders. Uh, uh, nope. uh, They're going through a desert and they got attacked by a giant trapdoor spider. It was good times. Nope, no nope. nuclear nuclear option. Yeah, nuke it from orbit. <laughs> All right, well let's go ahead and get started with our first segment. That is, of course, the off the shelf segment. The segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, which in my case is next to nothing, onto our tables and into our hearts. Robert, where do you want to get started this time? I think you had me pick last time. I, I, I want to get started with two things. So I'm going to do an other, and then we're going to start with reading. So today, and I didn't get to listen to it nearly as much as I wanted to because my headset died because I forgot to charge it. But Ray apparently does this thing where he hops onto like a Discord chat channel to like with other narrators and just sort of like narrates. And I, I don't know what he didn't. He wasn't terribly specific, or maybe I didn't read that post very. It was early in the morning. Um, but anyway. They're apparently not there in the morning, so he hopped on our Discord server and was just doing the narrating in our Discord server, and it was oddly fascinating because, um, like when you listen to Ray's stuff, you sort of assume that he uh, just like narrated it all in one go, but he starts and stops a lot more often than you'd think, and then with the power of editing, he just magically stitches it all together. You know, it's like it's it's kind of fascinating to listen to. And then he said he would put me on mute. So I wouldn't bother him. And we we talked quite a bit for like the 15, 20 minutes. I was able to be there before my headset died. And then I went to charge it and things got busy and I was watching Fringe and I forgot. I apologize. Right. But there you go. Uh, that was kind of interesting. Check well, it there out. There you go. It's it's oddly uh, it's oddly fascinating. And then every so often he has to like go do something and then he'll he'll chit chat for a little bit and then he'll go off and back to work. Like yelling at his children because they're making too much noise upstairs and it's coming through. Bear with me. See, this is why hmm? I never let my wife handle certain things. What am I bearing with? Six, story. Seven, story time. Uh, We're switching it, to movies. We're switching to movies. We're switching to movies? We're switching to movies. Am this I, I going to cut this out? Is this one of those stories where... where no, I don't think so. I think you'll leave this one in, to be honest Okay. Fair enough. Okay, so the first thing that I watched was Pulp Fiction. And I watched it because Carlos really wanted to watch it, and it had been at least a few months since the last time I'd had a chance to see it. I try and watch it at least once a year. It's one of my favorite movies. I think it's brilliant. So I watched You know, it you know oddly, kinda... hold on, oddly topical. Oddly topical with stuff coming up later. We'll All right. get to that. Yeah. All right. So I watched it just to, to kind of refresh myself and make sure there wasn't anything, you know, supremely objectionable for a 15-year-old. So we decided to let him watch it, but the only caveat was that uh, one of the parents had to be there with him uh, watching it. So I took the first couple hours last night because um, I promised. And then uh, Jessica took the last hour tonight because I'm, I'm here recording the podcast. And she sends me this list or this this text begging for help because she's like, well, but John Travolta got shot 
in the bathroom, but then he didn't. <laughs> and so I just had to explain to her that Pulp Fiction is not in a, a standardized timeline, that it jumps around. And so I had to locate a, a, a infographic for her to look at so that she could clearly see what the timeline actually is. Mm. This is my life now. This is my life. Yeah, yeah. Actually, oddly enough, uh, The King of All Things, uh, Pulp Fiction and It sh- share a lot, including the same problematic element. But I guess we'll get to that. All right. We'll, we'll All get right. to that. Yeah. All yeah. right. So we're doing movies. We're here now. So as I mentioned with the, the Ray thing, uh, I've been continuing with Fringe. I, uh, I beefed it up a little bit because I realized school's about to get out and it'll make life harder to get through that series if I don't finish it before school's out. So I am now in the middle end like i'm still in the middle but i'm like on the high middle of season three at the moment so what what did you think what did you think of the the okay well first off white tulip you said it didn't have much to do with the it has everything to do with the narrative arc it's very connected to stuff Uh, i'm not saying it's not it's just it 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 can act as a standalone because the 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 chief storyline there isn't really connected no i mean it was good it was an interesting little time travel ish storyline it was it was to me it was above the average stuff that you got out of fringe. It was unique and a little interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh I, I would say this. The problem with time travel stories like that is you run into the it was all just a dream and none of nothing that you watched really matters and it's kinda crappy because, you know, it's like you invest time into something and then it's like, Oh, it didn't none of that happened. Ah and uh I hate that. And they got around that very cleverly with the uh the title, the white tulip. Um which I thought was nice, like, because the 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 fact that you know uh, Walter basically gets a picture of a white tulip, like, kind of drives him to do something. Then it mo- actually moved the plot forward, so it didn't yeah. uh, it didn't have that problem of you know like the whole Dallas Filler episode. Like, yeah, yeah, or, or yeah, and it's just like oh, and then you know the timeline resets and none of this mattered, you know. So yeah, I no, like it, I like that it, part it of it. It had function. It had function for the core plot without a doubt, but it. Yeah, it can act as a standalone, but it's, it's, yeah. it's better than the average filler, you know? Yeah, well, Lost, in, or Lost uh, Fringe in general is very good at that, where they take a lot of their sort of filler episodes and they do a real good job of tying in their sort of meta plot to whatever happens in it and uses that as a catalyst to sort of push the uh, the meta plot forward. Uh, I, I watched one today because the, uh, the Olivia, Peter, will they, won't they uh, – that keeps going back and forth. Like part of that got resolved because of what happened in an episode I just watched. And I thought that was nice. Like they do a good job of like, cause it, you know, the, the meta plots about everybody's relationships, you know, and they do a really good job of pushing everybody's relationships forward with the a plots of the kind of random standalone episodes. So it's clever. It's a good show. Uh, it's on HBO max. If anyone's curious, it's not bad. Uh, it's a little weird. Cause like I said, especially the first season, because it, uh, the first season kind of drags a little bit, but yeah, after the that, first season had its, issues it got much better in the second season um and then it was kind of all over the place yeah well whatever i like i like wild rides so far i'm having fun season three is a little weird but you know whatever it is fun it is fun and i think it is and i i'm gonna do a hot take here i think it might be superior to the x-files in this one thing alone uh the problem with the x-files was it was like buckshot supernatural like liptony you know parapsychology stuff like you know you'd have witches and magic and space aliens and mad science 
and you know just just everything like everything and then you know they'd have ghosts and the ghosts would never behave the same the ghosts never had rules you know it's like this ghost does this and then this ghost does this and it's a space ghost from the space shuttle and uh <laughs> yeah you know that episode yeah that i do one. yeah it was I one do. of the bad ones it was one of the real I bad ones i think i might still be reeling from how terrible it was yeah but fringe because everything is bad science and everything in some degree has to go back to mad science. It does keep the show's stuff kind of consistent, which I think works a little bit better because, you know, I don't know, but it's a procedural crime drama with, you know, mad science. I mean, how could that go wrong? And conspiracies. I mean, it goes wrong all the time. We've all seen it, but it doesn't here. Yeah. Yeah. No, fringe is pretty good. It's funny. I was reading an article about how JJ, uh, they learned their lessons from lost. And, and other shows and and like reading it is like well duh jj like you know it's like well we learned from lost you have to pretty much have a plan going in it's like no way jj and you forgot that with the star wars trilogy doofus ah <laughs> 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 uh, anyway positive podcast what have you been watching indeed okay so um formula one season continues uh, Lincoln has become my little F1 buddy, which totally pleases me. It's just cool to have the next generation sitting down with you and being excited about the same thing that you've loved since you were his age. That's oh really exciting to me. God, it's freaking magical, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't yeah, it? Ma- Miles, Miles has been that with me and it's, it's, it's just like, you know, I, I know you're not supposed to have favorites and I, I love them all, but God damn it. Like, you know, that kid loving Dragon Quest and Godzilla as much as he does. It's really hard to resist. And I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Like he even he even FaceTimes me if he's at his mom's and the race is on and he wakes up early. Sets He sets his, his little alarm and he wakes up early to make sure he's up for the race. And then he FaceTimes me and we talk the whole race. Oh, that, that just that just makes your day. That makes your week. You know, wow. that just makes everything worthwhile. Wow. Wow. That's like I bleach right there, man. Like that. That. Yeah. Yeah. You need yeah. to put that. Up. Yeah. You, you know, with all the, with all the stuff that, you know, your lack of time and everything like we just need to take that snippet out of the podcast right there. I just have you listen to it. <laughs> over over again. Yeah, no, it's uh, the Miami Grand Prix was the, the first time that they've run the race in Miami and they actually took the Hard Rock Stadium in um, just outside of Miami and Miami Gardens. And they converted the parking lot into a, a racetrack, which was an interesting track. And the race itself was kind of just okay. What was interesting about it was taking the Super Bowl mentality and applying it to F1, which are two things that traditionally haven't gone together. F1 is like the most European of European things possible. So it's very snooty and people eat cheese? They used to. There's a very famous quote from the guy that used to own F1, Bernie Ecclestone, where he said, um, you know, if... if if the viewer's not wearing a Rolex, then I'm really not interested in them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Classism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, there's a lot of issues with Bernie Ecclestone, not the least of which was his... Uh, <sighs> shall we put this oft-questionable running of the uh, sport? Mm. I'll leave it there. Uh, if you are interested in F1 history, let me know. I'll be more than happy to shower some on you. The Ecclestone years were complicated years. But a number of years ago, um, he sold the brand to an American company. And as they've been embracing all people, surprise, surprise, one of the things that they've done is, you know, run more races in America. Because with Drive to Survive, um, the Netflix show, 
there's been this huge upswell of interest in the United States, which has not traditionally been what you would call an F1 home. Right, right. Yeah, like it's it's driven a lot of interest, and then all of a sudden everybody's really wanting to watch it, and so they've now expanded with a race in Miami this year, and the next year will be Miami uh, again, and they're adding a, a, a race in Las Vegas that will run down the strip at 10 p.m. That's going to look amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's a, a list of some of the weirdness from the Miami Grand Prix. Number one, more A-list stars than I've ever seen at a single sporting event, period. Every okay. time the camera turned, there was some other A-lister there. When you put basketball players next to F1 drivers, comedy ensues. <laughs> I can see that. The average basketball player, not even above average, but the average basketball player is at least a foot and a half taller than any F1 driver. And, you know, to play basketball, those guys are generally pretty pretty well built. You know, they're, they, they're, they're reasonably buffed up. F1 drivers, it's all about saving weight. So they, they're only buff where they need to be, which is their neck and their arms and their core. Uh, other than that, their bodies are very tiny. It's really funny. So, yeah, they, yeah they go look like at some that. pictures. Go look at some pictures of F1 stars standing next to NFL and NBA players and giggle like I did. It's really quite funny. The other thing it was, was just like the Americanization of the sport. So the track goes around the parking lot and, you know, F1 history, part of F1 history is races like Monaco, where you are literally on the side of the Mediterranean racing on the streets of the city, right? So to try and capture that feel in inland Miami, because uh, you're at least about, I think, 40 minutes away from the ocean in Miami Gardens, to to capture that feel of F1 traveling the world, they built a fake marina and they put real boats in it and then they couldn't get approval to put water in it. So they painted fake water at the bottom of the marina and then they sold the boats as skyboxes and really rich people sat in the boats and watched the show. <laughs> like, tell me that's not the most American thing you've ever heard of in your entire life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know we're 45 minutes from the ocean, but you know what? We're going to build this here marina. We're going to paint that sucker up with fake water and we're going to call it a day. Oh, that's so weird. It is fake water. <laughs> You're looking at it right now, right? Yeah, yes, like, I am. The, if, if you compare it to... I mean, I've been watching Formula One since the, the you know late 70s, early 80s. It's been very European. It's always been European. Even when it leaves Europe, it still follows that rough structure, right? So to see things like a fake marina and the Hard Rock Casino and, you know, uh, all, all these little F1 drivers completely getting dwarfed by NBA and NFL stars, like it's, it was just surreal. Like, the whole thing felt like a fever dream. Oh, they're the boats. That's so Yeah, dumb. you see the boats? I see the boats. You got $36,000, you can buy one seat in a boat. <laughs> just the one. Just the one. You don't even get the whole boat. You just get the one seat. Oh, my God. Nice. It's insane, right? Like, it, it, it's fever, fever dream stuff. So, yeah, they still got some work to do on the track. I, I think the, the, they, they nailed the layout. The, the, the layout of the track is really actually quite clever, and it's got a little bit, bit of something for everybody, but... Uh, apparently the, the drivers were saying that the, the asphalt that they used did not provide grip. So they were unable to race off the racing line without fear of crashing. And so that kind of limited the amount of overtakes we saw in the race, which made it a bit processional, but that's okay. It was a first time in Miami. And I, I think 
overall, it was pretty exciting. It was pretty uh, unique. You know, when you were talking about making it American and, and what they would do in Florida, I had a vision of uh, doing that corkscrew jump like they did in the, the James Bond movie uh, <laughs> with the slide whistle. And then, and then they had a, a little pizzazz, a little spectacle on it, just like gators like coming up and snapping at the driver's heads as they, you know, pinwheel okay. over. Okay, now you say that. You say that. You say that. You say that. Hold on now. Hold on. I'm going to send you a short clip. You're going to watch it and you're going to tell me why this is – the single most American thing ever. There you go. Check that out. They had professional Formula One drivers do this. Yeah, I know about swamp buggies. Why are you showing me this? Because I sincerely doubt that a Formula One driver knows what a swamp buggy was prior to this this experiment. Did they actually race the swamp buggies? Yes, they actually raced the swamp buggies. One of That's them did nice. a wheelie in a swamp buggy. That's nice. Intriguing. I like it, though. I like it. So, I mean, between swamp buggies and fake marinas and the hard rock, I mean, like the whole thing for a longtime F1 fan felt like a fever dream. But that being said, you know what? I had so much fun watching it. It was so, so good. It was just so so neat to see F1 expanding in a new way. And more importantly, it was really neat to see a bunch of Formula One fans in the United States being excited about the sport. Like, that's huge. Because when I was growing up, Nobody else watched F1. And like you couldn't even watch all the races because American TV didn't have them all. It was pretty much just like you'd have to check the race results in the newspaper because that was a thing uh, because I predate the Internet. <laughs> the um, the other thing was like occasionally ABC would show uh, just kind of like the biggest of F1 races. So like Monaco was shown every year. And I, I kid you not, I had Betamax and VHS tapes with with saved Monica, uh, well, with saved Grand Prix on them. And then I put them up uh, watching in, in the background and I'd have like all my matchbox set up around a formula one track that I'd build on my floor. Like that's how crazy I am about this sport. Like I've been watching it since I was old enough to even think about cars. So yeah, uh, now I get to share that with Lincoln It's really just made my millennium. Well, speaking of that, uh, I remembered I had a Godzilla movie that my boy hadn't watched. So I whipped yes. out 1984's The Return of Godzilla, not Godzilla 1985 with the Raymond Burr. Oh no. I bought the deluxe edition. That's the original Japanese cut. And, uh, two things. One, uh, it was a little darker than I remembered. Probably shouldn't have shown it to a five-year-old cause it's, uh, it's kind of the gritty edgelord reboot of the series. Uh, there's there's some dead people and you know desiccated corpses because a giant Godzilla sea louse sucks all the juices out of them in the beginning, and uh, oddly enough, the American cut of that movie is slightly better because said giant sea louse uh, they really trimmed that scene quite a bit because the prop was terrible. It was real fake. And uh, the more they showed it, the faker it got. <laughs> and so. Uh, <laughs> The American cut showing it as little as possible was probably a good idea. So just just going to throw that out there. Um, and he liked it okay, but he he got he wanted to see Monsters Brawl. And uh, Godzilla just rampaging didn't do much for him. But he did like the Super X, the little UFO plane that fires cadmium missiles in his mouth. He was, he was quite tickled go. by that. And then I, I, love, I love Godzilla, like, you know, manages to get the Super X to crash. Does he breathe fire on it? Does he go step on it? He's like, nah, I'm just going to go drop a building on it because that's how I roll. I'm, I'm Godzilla. What are you going to do? And then he, yeah, just... <laughs> Ah, it was good. It was very, very good. All right. Well, Robert, we've talked about it several times on the podcast. Now it's time to dive into it. Are you ready to talk about Spider-Man? Sure. I finally watched it. 
No Way Home, I'm assuming you're talking about. Oh, yeah. No Way Cause Home. Because odd, oddly enough, I've actually never seen The Amazing Spider-Man 2, so technically, technically that could be a new movie for me, I'm just saying. Well... It's a pity because it gives a lot more impact to some of the scenes. So oh, I, I I know the plot of the Amazing Spider-Man too. I decided I didn't want to see impact it because I heard was it was terrible. A bad word choice. <laughs> Gwen Stacy broke Whoa. her back. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah Suck on that, Peter. Words. Yeah. Yeah. Phrasing, dude. You just so, made Peter um, Parker cry. Somewhere. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! We're going to talk about Spider-Man: No Way Home. So if you haven't watched it yet, go away. Yeah. Come back in a few minutes. Oh my God maybe the best marvel movie yet yeah yeah word it it's everything mm-hmm. it, it's to me it it's even better than just being a, a really good sequel because which it, it does what i call the rogue one quotient which is where it takes the movies that came before it and adds gravitas to them and makes them mean even more and that's amazing every single thing that the Spider-Mans do in that movie is tied to the events of their universe in a way that that you can just see that their characters have grown and changed over the years. And my God, Andrew Garfield, you son of a bitch, had me in tears like half the mm-hmm. damn time he was on screen. I know, right? Like, my God. Very impressive. And you want to really, do you want to know what really gives me the red ass? And this is pro- not positive podcast stuff, but I don't care. It was really implied via the preview that Morbius was going to take place in the Andrew Garfield universe because the Oscorp logo was the same logo. And they revealed that Oscorp does not exist in the MCU. So it had to exist in one of the other universes. And then in the Morbius movie, they took all that stuff out. It's not in there anymore. And I'm like, uh. ah, just let, let Andrew Garfield have another movie. Cause I, you know what? I, the uh, I did see Amazing Spider-Man two, and I Amazing Spider-Man one had some problems, but none of them were on Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, I thought was an okay Peter Parker. No, no, it, Andrew Garfield, Andrew Garfield was an okay Peter Parker and a really really good Spider-Man. He got the snark down right. He he got the tone yes, he did. right. Yes, he did. Uh, which is funny because Tobey Maguire was the exact Tobey Maguire was the exact opposite. He was a really 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 good Peter Parker and just kind of an okay Spider-Man. And that's one of the things that I love about Tom Holland is he kind of gets both of the worlds pretty damn pretty damn well. Yeah. This to me is like Andrew Garfield's love letter to the people that loved his movies because he just delivers a performance that is far far above. Yeah, he punches high. What 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 this movie deserved to have swinging for it. Yeah. Now nah, he punched really high. <laughs> My God, the look on his face when he catches uh, Zendaya's MJ. MJ. Yeah. And just the the emotion on his face and how he clarifies that moment. Oh, my God, Robert, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. I know. Like, that movie made me cry twice in the theaters. <laughs> my <laughs> I like that movie. It's just and and McGuire coming from nowhere. Like when was the last time I saw him on screen? Yeah, the last thing I he did he uh, produced nobody. The 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 John Wick ripoff. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the producers on that. Because my like he came out of nowhere and and like again, the most impressive thing about their performances is that they are clearly iterations of the characters that they played in that movie. But yeah, they're also changed by the fact that years have gone by, and they're. They're both, even though they don't outwardly express it specifically, 
they're both completely changed and weighed down by the by the decisions that they've made. And it's it's little things like body language too. Like when Andrew Garfield catches MJ, he twists his body to take the blow for her. You could tell. You could tell from the facial expressions, from the actions, from the the and, and this is, you know, bullied to whoever it was that coached them through this or scripted it or whatever it was that, that made this happen, but you could tell that he has replayed that moment in his mind ten thousand times and he finally gets a chance to do it differently and he knows exactly what to do in that moment because of the loss that he incurred. And that was just it, it's that movie's brilliant. It's not it's, it's not brilliant. it's Toby too, because uh when, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm singling that out as, as an individual example, but it's it's there's never a moment with any of the three Spider-Mans that doesn't have impact and and a tieback specifically to their previous uh five movies. Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was really impressed with Toby when he went to bat for Green Goblin. Like like yeah, because you could tell like that moment haunted him too. You oh, know? absolutely. And when he when he had a, t- a chance to change it, he he took it. And and yeah, it was it was really good. And then he got to utter the best line. It's like, dude, are you okay? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I've been stabbed before. <laughs> <laughs> and and like even even oh my god, Alfred Molina. When when he when he sees Peter for the first time not under the control of the arms and he, and he says, "Oh, my dear boy, I missed you." Oh my god. Just Tear my heart out of my chest like this is Temple of Doom. <laughs> like you, you're making the villains just as impactful. Like, ah, oh. yeah, that movie is that movie is is the realization of the dreams that we all had growing up reading comic books. Um, yeah, fully realized. It's impactful. It's emotional, but it's also completely a love letter to the comic and the movies that came before it. And like Rogue One, and the reason why I rate Rogue One so very highly in the Star Wars universe, it makes the other movies better than they already were. And especially in the case of the Andrew Garfield movies, that's an amazing feat. Yeah, my only complaint, and this is it, <clears throat> is um, I don't think they could have gotten away with it because of who they cast to do the voice of Miles Morales in the Spider-Verse movies and because it would probably not jive with whatever they're planning to do with the Spider-Verse movies, but it would have been a really good moment if Miles also Agreed. showed up. Agreed. Like, yeah, the I mean, guy, they hinted at it very, very heavily. Yeah. The, the guy they got to do the voice for him, he is not a 15-year-old boy. Like, at, at this point, he's like 23, I want to say. But, you know, I mean, given... Dude. He, he when, was like when, in his late teens when he did the original movie, but still, like... Jamie Foxx was talking to Andrew Garfield and and talking about, you know, like... I wish there had been a Spider-Man like me. Like that was God, that scene tore my heart out too. Yeah, no, it was all it was all good. It was all real real good. There, yeah, that that movie was a I mean like legitimately. I expected it to be good given the the quality of the first two, but this was so much more than than even my highest expectations. And Tom Holland, man, that dude can act. God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, like the the MJ death scene and when they're all sitting there and they 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 have the moment around the the great power great responsibility line and and then when they start sharing like the people that they've lost. Oh my god, man. Like like can I can I have an emotional break please? Can can we take 5 from from ripping my heart from its chest and like smashing it against the wall violently? And you know what's the best part of that movie, Jonathan? You know what's the best part? They did the Peter point twice in that movie. 
but yeah. twice where all the Which troops pointed so at each great. other. It's so good. And, so and they, good. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a movie so crafty at dropping references. Usually it's so blatant and it feels completely out of place. This is just respectful and artful in the way it deploys its references. It's just, oh, nothing short of brilliant. That is the best Marvel movie I think I've ever seen. I don't, uh, it, it, I don't think it quite hits because Ave- Avengers is just awesome because of just the sheer amount of stuff. Uh, in Avengers it. is awesome from a scale perspective and yeah, the fact yeah. that we get to see team-ups. This is awesome because it is the realization of how deep you can explore a single character. Yeah, and how deep you can explore several iterations of the same character. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, like, it, it makes, it basically makes every other Marvel movie that's happened before part of the universe in its own in its own special little way yeah and it allows us to have everything tied together without having it tied together i mean it's 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 the whole thing is just so smart yep 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 yep. yeah that movie man god damn that movie yeah i need to watch it again i even even benedict cumberbatch like he had moments too yeah i wonder oh anyway anyway yeah i need to watch that movie again yeah, yeah. Tell me when you do, because I might, I might see if I've got the time to sit down and watch it again. Because I liked it enough to do that. All right, I'm going to close this out. I'm going to close this out, Jonathan. We're going to go a little low, but then we're going to go high. Okay. So Star right. Trek Picard happened, and I can tell you, it Just is indeed better. No spoilers. No spoilers. Uh, it is indeed better than Discovery season one. They, uh, they, they pulled it out barely at the end. The, the, the back half of that season's a mess. Like it's just a mess. But uh, you know what saved it? Uh, John DeLance was in it quite a bit. <laughs> And, and and his sequence is like because whenever he's on screen he's freaking electric and then and that's what they yeah, close the show out with him in that show right right but they closed out that episode with John Delance being electric and it, it kind of it, it pulled it up it pulled it out of its its dive but yeah oh, oh. so it's a crash landing versus a crash yes yes okay fair enough uh, but oh my god Star Trek Strange New Worlds oh okay. my Just god don't tell me a thing. But it sounds like it's continuing the magic from the end of season two of Discovery. No, more so. Uh, No, no, no. No, it's taking it's taking like the bits because it's it's taking basically Pike and uh, number one and Spock out of Discovery. And then it's making its own new witch's brew. And you know what they're stirring it with, Jonathan? Do you want to know what they're stirring it with? They're stirring it with TOS. It's a very TOS feeling show. It's so bizarre to watch. Oh, that's kind of cool, though. Yeah, it's got its own like like it feels like the original series and like plot structure and what's going on and kind of the swagger, just the whole vibe. But then it's got a very modern like like all the episodes because two episodes have come out so far. Every episode is is episodic, like, you know, by the beginning of the end of the show, there is just one contained story. But the what they don't do is at the end of all these episodes, these characters don't reset to zero like they did in all of the old shows previous to, you know, like Voyager on back or Enterprise on backwards, you know. So like stuff that comes up in previous episodes is like, you know, happened and they talk about it, you know. And so like basically the way it works is the A plot is kind of a self-contained story. And then the B plot is usually characters, you know, having their little threads of of what's been going on to them. And it's fascinating because it takes like it it it's uh, it's Trek directly aimed at at our generation, Jonathan. Like that that's it straight up. It is directly aimed at the 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 old school guys that are you know out there, and it's so good, Jonathan. Oh God, it is so so good. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm glad yeah. that they've they've found that that magic again. That's funny. 
like like straight up uh, on a scale of one to ten, the first episode's an eleven. It's really good. It hits the ground sprinting. It was really good. And then the second episode, like I, I was sitting there thinking about it after I watched it, I'm like, man, it wasn't really as good. And and you know, and and I was like, wait a minute, the first episode hits so well, and it's like the second episode's like a seven and a half and eight. And, you know, like well above the curve. And, and I was like disappointed in it. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, this is like, like seriously one of the best episodes of Star Trek I've ever watched. Like it's just, yeah. Oh. And the, the other thing they get real, real good is basically they take all of the props and all of the sets and everything from the TOS era Star Trek and then just like throw money at it. And so like, it looks like the same, like everything looks, it has the same general shape of the original thing, like the shuttlecraft and the everything, but you know, it's actually made out of like metal, <laughs> you know, like it's not made out of plywood and paint, you know, they actually like, you know, had a budget to do stuff and it, it just, it's kind of got this retro future thing because of it. That's just, oh, uh, okay. Don't tell me anymore. Cause I'm having a hard enough time, not having the time as it is. Oh, you're killing me. Yeah. Well, they're here. here this is what I'll say. Uh, get caught up on, on. Get caught up in Strange New Worlds and then just start slogging through Picard. And then whenever you need to, like, climb out of the depths, you'll, you'll have an episode of uh, Strange New Worlds waiting for you because it's on weekly for the next eight weeks. Nice. Nice. That makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. What is this? Mick Jagger and Free Jack? Do it. Do it. Oh, there's the Free Jack reference we didn't realize we needed, but now we have. Mm, thank you for that, sir. Thank you for that. That is the end of movies, so let's move on to reading, where it's a real short list for me, buddy. Still reading Phenomena. Yep, ditto. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Okay, that book is getting creepy. It's getting creepy, but at the same time, it's also hard hard to swallow because there's just too many questions. Too many questions right now, but I am curious to see where the book is going. I'm a little bit ahead of you, so so let's let's base our conversation on where you sit. Yeah, I'm I'm at the point where they're talking about the first typhoon class submarine. I think that's where I'm at. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That part was particularly creepy. Okay. Yeah. So it's like I how about this? I, I kinda wanna go see some of these declassified documents that she says she's reading because like the the skeptic in me is like Oh, it's they off can the charts, po- right? Yeah, like they, they, they can possibly be getting these results that they claim that they're getting. And I wanna actually read a army report. Where someone yeah. claims this, and and yeah, because without, without a doubt, my bullshitometer's off the off the charts. But but that being said, assuming that 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 she's not putting an artistic spin on some of these reports that they have in the in the uh, in the book, like these are not just coincidences that they got right. There's creepy details. Yeah. Yeah. And surprisingly, not not a lot of MK Ultra <laughs> directly. I mean, not magic yet, mushrooms, notwithstanding. Yeah, but yeah, no, I uh, I don't know. It's interesting. It's funny. She brought up the the, the spoon bending guy, and I, I remember that Yuri very inf- yeah, the very infamous segment on the Tonight Show where he lost a lot of his credibility. Uh, yeah, and it's funny the army was still using him after that point. So it's weird. I don't know. I don't know what to think. But yeah, uh, the, the claims that people are making about what, what they were able to pull off. Dude, Yuri uh, Geller's still alive, by the way. I did not know that. Yeah, he's 75. He was born in 1946. So he's younger than my dad, even. Hmm. Well, Jonathan, I want to give a, a shout out to uh, listener Wesley. Uh, listener Wesley is publishing his first book 
uh, on the e-readers. Uh, so uh, I've got a link in our notes for the Kindle, but Ooh, the Nook version's out. Good for you, Wesley. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what? You know, you want to know what? Uh, I, I, I'm going to totally state Wesley. You, you, you are stone cold, sir, because uh, I know how hard it is to put myself out there, like creatively. Uh, so like fudge a, man, like, yeah, good job. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I have some hardcore imposter syndrome about stuff like that and, uh, I am impressed. So yeah, shout out to Wesley. Uh, the book is on pre-order for all the major devices. It is called, uh, soul wizard by Wesley CP. I, yeah, like I said, you could find it on, uh, I'm looking at the Kindle link right now. Uh, he sent me the Nook link, but I didn't copy that because I need to do that on my laptop and I keep forgetting. Wesley, if you want to make an audiobook of it, we just happen to know an audiobook reader. I, I've already been talking to Ray about that. He's, he's getting me, uh, I got, I got Wes's back. I got Wes's back. Uh, he, uh, he gave me some stuff, which I need to copy and paste and send to Wes. Actually, I haven't gotten around to it because again, I was not at my laptop when I got it. Yeah, no, Ray, 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 Ray is very busy. He he's doing his uh, his his just uh, his his books of barrel laughs, Jonathan. <laughs> it's about the coronavirus and other uh, other pandemics throughout history. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, good times. Yeah, yeah, it's a laugh a minute, laugh right. So yeah, go go check out his book. I will put a link somewhere. I'm sure. And Wes, if I don't put a link somewhere, remind me, and I'll take care of that. He listens to the show. You know Wes. You played Impossible Landscapes with him. Of course I know Wes. Come to think of it. That just didn't occur to me until I said it out loud right now. That's dad I never said I right didn't there. know Wes. I, 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 it didn't occur to me that you did. I just, I don't know. It's just weird. We just fought weird. evil together. Okay, we're good. <laughs> you guys have been through some stuff. <laughs> we saying it. <laughs> oh, I got one more. I got one more. I got one more. Okay, so... Uh, Jonathan, I don't know if you know this about me. Um, I've been kind of on a Dracula kick of late. I don't, I, I don't understand. You, you know, it might've come up in passing. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, like every time we cover books. Right. For the last year. Yes. Well, since I've started the Dracula dossier, I got to keep my head in the space. Anyway, I'm buying time so I can look up the actual title of this book and the author. So here we go. Uh, it's called uh, – I, I checked out a book. It's called Mina, The Dracula Story Continues by uh, Marie Curley. Marie Curley. I have found out, Jonathan, that I am a bit of a Dracula snob. There is one thing that will make me just throw a book at the wall immediately and stop reading it. And I hit that wall with this Mina book. And I'll tell you what it is. If you – are claiming a that you are a Dracula scholar of some sort, or you know that you're writing a sequel to the book Dracula, or whatever, and you utter the phrase Carfax Abbey, you immediately lose all credibility with me because I don't know if you know this, dear listener. Carfax Abbey does not come up in the book of Dracula. That is from the stage play and the Universal horror film where all of the action typically is set in Whitby. And there is an abbey in Whitby that is in ruins and is a tourist attraction. And if you type in Whitby into your Googles, you, you will see a picture of it. But Carfax is a house in London. And so in the book, there is Carfax the house. And then there is Whitby with the ruined abbey. But when they're, they cross the streams and, you know, condense everything, it becomes Carfax Abbey. But that is not in the book. And if you, if you say that out loud and you click, it makes me know you didn't do it. I want you to take a deep breath. Am I wrong? Together. You're not am wrong. I, You're am not I wrong? wrong. You're like, not wrong. 
it, it just shows they haven't done the reading. Am I right? I, I, there was another book where it was like a biography about Dracula that I got. And I, I within the front of it, they were like, you know, it's like, we're writing this book about Dracula because we love Dracula so much. Carfax Abbey. And I'm like, ah, I'm done with you. You don't know crap. Shut the f*** up. Now you're just making yourself edits. It's not even my fault this time. That's how passionate I am about this, Jonathan. I just want to say. I'm sorry I'm kind of a snotball. Readers, listeners, listeners. You're not readers, you're listeners. But that's that's where I'm at. And it's fine. It's fine if you want to have Carfax. I do not hold it against the Universal film for having it. I get I get dropping some of the stuff and condensing it. It makes sense. I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm just saying, if you're going to say that you're a Dracula scholar and that you're writing a sequel to the original novel and you say Carfax Abbey, you haven't done the reading. It really pisses me off. I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. So, all right. All right. I'm going to put that to the side. I'm going to put that to the side. I'm going to say once again, Wesley, good job. I'm very proud of you. Go, go pre-order his book. It's $4. There you go. And, uh, and let's move on. Uh, when does it come out? Uh, Ask the tough questions. That's what I do. Oh, sorry. One last thing. One last thing. Uh, shout out to Brennan. Brennan got Phenomenon 2. He's, he's reading the book with us. He mentioned it. He says it's really <gasps> Oh, it's really he did? Big. Yeah, he got it. He's, he's saying it's real big, and he's worried about finishing it. <laughs> nah, you're going to do fine. It's an easy read. It's oh. not tough. And to answer your jo- question, Jonathan, June twelfth. Oh, it's just looking it up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome, Brendan. I'd like to. I'd like to hear uh, it, where, where you are in the, the the skeptic. They call them sheep's and wolves or something. They talk about it in the beginning of the book. Yeah, which is really funny because you know calling people sheep who are believers. I don't know. Maybe it meant something different back in the day, but it means something else now. all right all right uh uh, moving to next video games let's do video games okay video games i've played one assetto corsa competizione yes your your car sim yeah it's a car sim i'm having a great time and unfortunately that's the only thing i've had a chance to play i have had my steering wheel and pedals set up at my computer desk for the past week and a half and i've gotten to drive one five lap race that's it Nice. Yeah, that's my life right now. Well, my boys are continuing to play Mario Kart 8 and having a ball, and it's adorable, and I love it. And uh, uh, watching their video game addiction, genetic, I'm assuming, blossom. Uh, These new teeny tiny flowers are just blooming right now. So beautiful, Jonathan. I love it. (laughs) What's fun, what's fun is uh, because it's multiplayer, the whole family has gotten in on it occasionally. So sometimes it's like, mommy and daddy and the twins sometimes it's mommy and aowen sometimes it's daddy and aowen you know because it's only four players so not all five of us can do it but uh yeah yeah i am uh, i'm kind of i you know of course i'm dad so i'm sort of the the house champion but i lose i lose occasionally just due to not taking it seriously or you know bad luck or you know legit like just screwing up because i'm just screwing up uh, and, uh, you know what? The family really, really enjoys beating me. I'm, I'm kind of the, uh, the villain of this piece, which is okay. Aww. It's my lot in life. You know, I, 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 I get, I get some hate because, you know, I'm the guy on top, so it's fine. But, uh, yeah, what I, what I wasn't expecting is Eowyn, Eowyn is legit good. Like, like I am, I got to bring my, my A game to beat her 
And it's really painfully obvious that she has much better reflexes than I do. And the only thing I'm, I'm winning on is wisdom. <laughs> yeah, I know. So Carlos and I have played a lot of video games together. And the funny thing is he's still got that, you know, hand-eye coordination that I don't because my brain is old and degraded and doesn't function anymore. Right, right, right. But the funny thing is he generally is the first to go down because even though he's quicker on the trigger and quicker in a lot of respects, he plays with passion. He doesn't play with intelligence. And so he just dives on in all Leroy Jenkins trying to trying to hop into the fight. And meanwhile, I'm 400 meters away sniping without any concern because nobody's able to hit me. And then I have to run in and save him. So it's really funny that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, my, my daughter. Oh, it's weird, man. It's weird. I like it, though. I didn't expect to. Uh, I didn't expect to be like so proud to be dethroned. Like, like, no, it feels good, right? Yeah. Like and you pass it along to the next gen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't gotten dethroned yet, but I can see it coming. And, uh, I, you know, I, I ain't mad. Uh, it's, there's something kind of nice about it. I don't know. It's weird. Still undefeated in Street Fighter, though. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm yeah, I don't know. The, the day will come. It's coming. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. But it's going to be hard. You give me Ryu, and it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. And uh, I'm still chugging away at uh, Dragon Quest XI, the definitive edition. Uh, I got some of the the first new content, which was, eh, it was all right. It wasn't great. But yeah, no, no complaints. It's still a lovely game. Uh, and the boys are super duper into it. Uh, <laughs> we got one of those yoga balls. And uh, my my kids, like, I don't, well, first off, they attack it like it's a monster, which I put a stop to because I don't want them to pop the yoga ball. Those things aren't cheap. But so now since they have to like use it correctly and one of the things you can do on it to like exercise your core is bounce on it, you know? So my yeah. boys bounce on it or Miles bounces on it and then he holds two rulers and he's like, I'm attack, I'm a slime knight and I'm attacking things with my swords. And, and, and he's just so happy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Oh, oh, it's so cute. There's a lot of monster attacking, a lot of poisonings here. It's fun. And I realize I'm like indoctrinating them into D&D because the best weapons that you can make in Dragon Quest XI are plus three. And that's also where the cap is in D&D for magic weapons these days. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm going to be able to segue that pretty easily. This is good. This is very, very good. I'm happy. (laughs) They just need to learn how to read. And Miles, a little turd, he can read really good. He can actually read fairly well. He just lets his brother do it because his brother reads exceptionally. And so, like, Miles is lazy. So he sees a word, and he kind of knows what it is, but then he goes, like, Barry, read this for me. And Barry's like, okay, and then just does it. And, and Miles is like, yeah, good. I didn't have to think too hard on that. <laughs> so we know who's going to be in charge. Oh, yeah, no, we already know who's in charge. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, twins, man. It's good times. It's good times. Now I'm all misty. That made me. That made me happy. All right, you make me happy, buddy. Oh, I want you to know you. that. Oh, I appreciate that. All right, moving right along. What the hell's next, even board games? I think board it's games. Because we didn't have an RPG, Jonathan. Uh, I know. So, yeah. Apologies to you. Apologies to Ray. Apologies to Gina. Um, these la- this last month has just kicked me in the teeth. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. We're you know, Jonathan, Jonathan, I, I don't want you to feel too bad. We, we, we took your lemons and we made lemonade out of them. So Ray, and you my do. wife, and, and we, we played the crew deep sea adventure last night and uh, my wife I'm really, loved it. 
Yeah, loved it. That's that's a fun that's a fun game. I like that game. Yeah, yeah. No, I I was playing it, and I realized my wife was really interested in it because she was overhearing us play it last time we played it. And I'm like, she would love this game because it's just, it's cooperative puzzle solving. Like that's two things she loves because she doesn't like board games where you you, you square off because she doesn't like that. Um, she really likes the cooperative stuff like pandemic and whatnot. And then she really likes puzzles. And I'm like, this is like, this is everything she wants in a game. <laughs> and she had a ball. She had so much fun with us last night. So that was, she really would nice. really enjoy X-Men United. I'll keep that in mind. Just saying that, or well, any of the Marvel United games really. All right. Maybe we should, maybe we should do a Marvel United night. Just saying. There you go. Maybe next time you bow out, we should play Marvel United. <laughs> that night. Come, come on. Not night. <laughs> You're holding the wound open and you're pouring alcohol in. Uh, we both, cool. No, it's hand That's sanitizer, not. dude. There, there's nothing like getting hand sanitizer in a wound. No, you, you, you just opened the door to a dark room and told me to walk in. And you just, <laughs> as you, as you, as you closed the door, you just whispered, there's two spiders and one Lego. And then snam, the, 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 <laughs> the door shut. Uh, and a Jonathan, crab. Jonathan, and a crab. I'm, I'm insulted. I'm insulted. I am a gamer, sir. I would tell you that there's 3D fours in there, too. <laughs> yeah that tracks that tracks. <laughs> that actually is a good allegory for my entire life the last two weeks yeah have you ever stepped on the d4 man yeah it's, it's unpleasant sure have <laughs> it's not quite lego exquisite in terms of his pain but it's 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 a real solid close second uh depending on the lego man i i i, I think i'd almost rather step step on a lego than a pyramid of pain i'm just saying mm. All right, all right, all right. We're getting off track again. What have you been playing? I'm going to create a D&D character that instead of tossing caltrops, he just tosses D4s and Legos. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny that that rebooted D20 Modern Everyday Heroes, which by the time you hear this, people, it uh, the Kickstarter will be out for one week. It starts tomorrow. I'm very excited. Uh, yeah, you could totally make a modern character that does that. Just Lego throwing, Lego and caltrops throwing. Make it, make it happen, Jonathan. Dude, you know what I've always wanted to do with D20 Modern? And I'm, I'm, I I got to do it with this version when it comes out, Jonathan. I've always wanted to do like a Bat Family style game where, you're, you know, it's like Gotham or whatever city we make up. And you're, you know, low level, like, you know, ninja-y, you know, superheroes fighting supervillains in the mafia. Yeah. You should be like the Legonator, the dice, the dice man. The dice. <laughs> Just throw out D4s. People step on it. It's like, ow, ow, that really hurts. I stepped on a D4. <laughs> I like it. I like it. By the way, do you know what I haven't been able, while we're on the subject of RPGs, do you know what I haven't been able to stop thinking hmm. about since we talked about it? Friggin' Spelljammer, man. <laughs> like, I want to adventure in that universe so bad. And you I want to make a- my griff. Oh. All right, Jonathan. I'll, I'll keep. The just, box set comes with an adventure, man. I. I, I <sighs> I'm throwing. I'm. Throwing this into the universe. I want to rock the Spelljammer universe, and I want to I want to be a griff. You know what's stopping me from playing D&D? I really want to play, play in a game, like, that's multiple sessions that uses Roll20, because I'm a bit of a Luddite, and I hate learning new things, but if I was a player, I'd feel a lot more comfortable about using it. And I, I, I want that experience. And I keep telling my, my, my a, a buddy of mine, keeps like says, like, oh, we should play D&D. And I'm like, I, I keep saying out loud, I want to play in a game using Roll20 so I could learn the interface because I'll feel uncomfortable running a game knowing what I don't know, which is everything right now. And he, and he keeps trying to get me to run stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to say this more clearly. 
<laughs> the, the only reason I'm not hopping on the running of the Spelljammer is just simply because then I wouldn't be able to be my Griff. I, I will run Spelljammer. I just need someone to run a one to two to three shot on roll 20 so I can I can get the ropes down a little bit. Well, I, I owe you. I owe you for running Impossible Landscapes and now Dracula Dossier. So I don't mind doing a series after this. You know, we'll we'll get to this. Sort of. No, wait, no, we won't. Never mind. That's not going to come back around. I apologize. Anyway, board games, Jonathan. Board games. <laughs> All right, board games. Board games. You you and I played played a couple together online. Uh, Welcome to and Seven Wonders. We're continuing that, right? Right. Any thoughts as we progress? I mean, I, I'm so happy playing Welcome to. Yeah, I, that's the game I really don't mind losing because I'm always having fun. Yeah, it is nice. It, it, speaking of games that are like a puzzle and you're not really... It is versus, but it's not versus. <laughs> it's versus in as much as you're comparing scores at the end, but real, realistically, you're just trying to make the best decision for your board. And that's that's one thing I love about it. It's just you and your brain. Yeah, agreed. Um, played a, a little bit of Marvel United with the kids. They wanted to play. Uh, the X-Men stuff continues to be a favorite in the, in the house. Uh, Ray and I uh, were going to try and sit down to, to continue my exploration of fire in the sky, but um, it was late and my brain was mush and there were differences between the tabletop sim version and the new version. Because apparently what I did not realize until just recently is that that is a re-release. That is a redo hmm. of uh, a game that previously came out in the 90s, I believe. So we're going to have to explore that a little bit more. I'll, I'll get I'll get some information on that before we do the review. By the way, I just want to say out loud, Jonathan, whenever you talk about playing that board game, I always think that you're playing some sort of weird board game about Travis Walton getting abducted by aliens in the 70s. Look, not that you're going to stay up all night wondering about it, but who said I'm not? Well, I, I've seen the box. Shh, I, I know it's about the I Air like Force, buddy. I you when you sleep. Oh, I don't think... Was that in the pot? Did that... I... I hate you. <laughs> oh, I like I like living rent-free in your head, buddy. You, you go to hell, Jonathan. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Some would argue I'm already there. Um, yeah, so we, we couldn't get it, the, the game going right. Um, so uh, we switched to Undaunted since uh, we had talked about it on the podcast. And actually, I'd made a joke on the podcast talking about Fire in the Sky, how that just made me want to play Undaunted. So we sat down and did just that. And it was great. It was phenomenal. Um, he kicked my ass and it was like it was just a great game. It reminded me of all the reasons why Undaunted just continues to be a favorite of mine. It's so good. You know, that, so that, good. that's something Gina and I were talking about last night when we were playing with Ray. We realized if we were playing Ray in any other game, even if it's a game that like none of us knew, the simple fact that Ray has so much more like board game hours under his belt than we do means we would just lose. And it's <laughs> not like it's not like it's not like I don't beat Ray at Seven Wonders or anything. I've got mastery of that. And, you know, there's only so much mastery you can get. Where, you know, it, it gets really thin sliced. But yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. like the last game, it doesn't matter how much mastery you have because you just don't get any cards. Well, there's that, too, because you guys took all the university cards and you took all of the 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 purple cards. And yeah, I was left with nothing. I had gold points. That was it. You guys suck. Mm-hmm. But you don't because you beat the <laughs> shit me, So I really can't be mad. Moving right along. Moving right along. Um, and then Dale and I are playing uh, Century Silk Road on... Um, How's that going? Really good, really good. Uh, the, the implementation's a little weird on the phone at first, and then once you figure out the way to interact with the cards, it continues to be an awesome game. Emerson Matsuichi has my heart. That's all I'm going to say. Cool. 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off-the-shelf segment, which means it's time for a quick break. And when we return, it will be time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. So we will see you in just a moment. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And Robert, there's a little bit of news this week. Mm-hmm. A little bit. A little bit. Shall I kick us off? Go ahead, sir. Are we British now? <laughs> All right, then, Gov. Are you, you going to go tell us news? I'm just going <laughs> to switch accents like every freaking time. I'm like Doctor <laughs> Who, you know? Just, just, I'm all over the place. Hey, let's talk about Ticket to Ride. Oh, man, Ticket to Ride's a great game, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better pack your American bags, because guess what? Ticket to Ride is going to the Golden Gate City. It's going to San Francisco. Days of Wonder have announced Ticket to Ride San Francisco. It's coming uh, relatively soon. August is what they're saying, August of this year. Uh, it is one of their city versions where there is a um, relatively small map just covering the city of uh, the city of San Francisco. But the same basic game mechanics are there. Uh, you're working on a metro system as opposed to a whole train system. Hmm. It will be a Target exclusive when it's first available uh, in June and then worldwide to other uh, retailers in August. So there you go. If you want to see the downloadable rulebook that is available on Asmodee and uh, Days of Wonder, Wonder's website, and it would be considered one of their entry point games, where it's uh, really kind of aiming at eight and up. So, um, yeah, it's a nice little step between the Ticket to Ride Junior Edition and the full Ticket to Ride Continent Edition. It's a really yeah, I'm looking at the map. It's, it's, nice. it's very simplified compared to the base game, but yeah, yeah, it's a good it's a good stepping stone. Yeah, I think the longest route I'm seeing here is like three. Is that a f- yeah, 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 three. Long, uh, no, no, no. There's, there's some of the, the, the. There's the one really long ferry route. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And Netflix is getting into the board game universe. It is bringing an IP that we have talked about on the show to life. Exploding Kittens, the game, is going to be transformed by Netflix into a mobile game and an adult animated series. Which, if you've seen the adult version of that game, we're in for a treat. Uh, but Netflix is yeah, positive podcast. Positive podcast. Yeah, positive podcast. Positive co- podcast. So, 
In the comedy of the uh, adult series, it will be exploring the eternal conflict between heaven and hell. And when it reaches epic proportions, both God and the devil will be sent to earth in the bodies of chunky house cats, which is the premise for the series. But listen to this. Lucy Liu, Abraham Lim, Tom Ellis, Ali Mackey, Mark Proksh, and Sashir Zamata will be heading up the, te- the cast. So it's not a small uh, production. Neither was the Clue movie. Just saying. The Clue movie is a work of perfection. All right. And a reminder, a reminder, good sir, of why Tim Curry is a gift to this universe. Okay. I'm, I'm not willing to die on that hill, so I'll just let it go. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. I'll be the first to admit that. But it's perfect to me. It's perfect to me. It's fair. You're perfect to me too, buddy. You you are you buttering me up for something? You've been really with the lovey dovey talk. No, I just miss you. I I, I feel it, it's just been a sh- couple weeks, and I really feel like I've gotten disconnected from all my friends because there's just been so much to do. Like all my video game friends are constantly texting me, like, "Oh, can you play tonight?" No, got soccer. I just feel bad. I I miss I miss I miss my buddies. You have, you have friends other than me. Couple, not many. I don't carry a lot a ton of friends. You don't at any play video time. games with me. Do you ever text me and like be like game on? Text me. Maybe I'm bad at it. I'm just saying. <laughs> a couple months ago, we were talking about a uh, tabletop RPG bundle for uh, trans youth, and uh, oh yeah, 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 I bought that sucker live on the air. Yeah. So if uh, you were saying to yourself, "Man, I wish I'd gotten in on that," if I got news for you. Right now on the itch.io, there is the TTRPG for Reproductive Rights Bundle, uh, hosted by 201 creators with a mountain of products that you can get uh, for $5. They wanted to raise, their initial one was uh, $30,000. As of recording, they have raised uh, $77,284. Each and every person involved with that campaign. Yeah, it started for tech. I think it started just with Texas, but with uh, stuff that's been going on, they sort of have widened the scope. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, how can you not? Uh, and that, of course, brings us to this episode segment of F*** You, Greg Abbott. F*** You. F*** You. Good talk. Such notable things as Beam Saber, which is uh, about piloting a mecha, uh, Glitter Hearts, where you play a magical transforming hero, uh, Legacy My Life Among, Among the Ruins. Campfire, Silver Axe, Dragon Hearts. Uh, there's a bit of overlap with the thing that we already have, but then again, there is plenty that isn't that I don't recognize. So yeah, if you want a big old pile of tabletop RPGs for $5, this is good enough. And if you want to just throw a finger up like Jonathan does. Every day. Every day. It's how I start my day. Walk out onto the porch, point towards the Capitol, hoist the mainsail. It's nice. It's nice to have something. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's tradition at this point. Uh, this is the way. Tradition. This is this is the way. <laughs> Three baddies and a baby. Be villains, babysit, do crime. So. <laughs> All right. Well, time to go to the beach, Robert. Okay. We're going to Maui mm. in a new game from the folks over at Plan B Games. Uh, Maui is an abstract game. Uh, for two to four players, eh, where everybody is on their individual little stranded beach and you're trying to fill it full of tourists. 
So on your turn, uh, you have to purchase something from the market, uh, specifically a towel. Okay. And you can take all the sand dollar. Uh, pardon me. Um, the currency of the game is sand dollars, and basically you're forming a pattern with your towels and lining up your tourists and attracting them to your beach in an attempt to get lots and lots of points. I don't know if I'll be able to play this game. There are crabs. It's fair. Crabs aren't that bad, buddy. You know, I don't like crabs. Crabs aren't they that are bad. They are not. No, they are. L- lobsters. They lobsters freak me out much more than crabs do. They walk sideways. They walk sideways. You know, lobsters freak me out too. I'm not gonna lie to you, but for whatever reason, crabs, because of their unusual anatomy and the fact that they walk sideways and the fact that their eyes are on stalks, creep me out. You know, and maybe it's because I read The Dark Tower when I was too young and that crab was chewing his friggin' finger off. I don't know. All, all I can think of when I think of a crab is that that sexy, sexy crab on the cover of uh, Prodigy's Firestarter, and it just kind of makes me happy. <laughs> One of the greatest albums ever made. Mm-hmm. Just the left way yeah, there. There you go. I don't know. That's just what I think about when I think of crabs. Just a handsome crab, sir. There's a handsome crab. You know, you, there, there's a fair amount of crabs you can kill in Dragon Quest. Maybe you should play that. Just get some vengeance out. Because <laughs> you know, I've had all that extra time lately. You could buy it on your Switch. Take it on the go. <laughs> oh buddy just sit there just sit there at the soccer game and just when you hear people cheer just kind of go yeah, yeah, yeah fighting no I actually pay attention uh, mm-hmm. sure you do I do I'm just kidding I enjoy I enjoy watching him play it's just there's just been so many games lately on the plus side his level of play has really greatly uh, improved like he's playing on a much different level than he used to it's really impressive actually speaking of passing that torch uh, he's playing better than I ever had the ability to. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Um, all right. Well, and last up in our news. That's not last uh, you up. I got remember... news. Oh, I got, okay. I got one well, more. Oh, right. I got one more, baby. Right. I got one more. Well, I got one more, too. Well, I'll do it. Well, here. Mine's, mine's about a gaming divorce, so you go with yours. You go with yours. Oh, that's kind of a downer, though. No, it's not. It's not. Not what you think. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so... Wizards of the Coast is set to take over D&D Beyond tomorrow, Jonathan, actually. Tomorrow that is happening. So uh, in celebration, they have announced two things. Uh, If you have an account on D&D Beyond, the adventure from the original starter set, The Lost Minds of Fandelver, is just yours now. You can just have it on your D20 or your D&D Beyond account. That is free to you. Also, if you make an account and claim it within the next week, so by the time this podcast comes out, you have until Thursday, you have the rest of your Tuesday and Wednesday and then Thursday to do this. Uh, you can just claim the book Acquisitions Incorporated. So if you want a free D&D book, go make a D&D Beyond account. You can read it on the interwebs. So there you go. Watsy kind of, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting seeing them try to try to take this over. Also, incidentally, as of today, you can no longer buy Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes and Velo's Guide to Monsters on the D&D Beyond because Mordenkainen's Monsters of the Multiverse came out and they're like, just buy that. <laughs> it's it's basically those two books mashed into one. So just buy that. So yeah, those books are no longer available, which is good because one of them is the one with some problematic text about orcs that set off an internet controversy a couple of years ago, which was hilarious to read about. <laughs> it was not hilarious. It was kind of awful. Uh, anyway, Jonathan. All righty. Well, last up in our news is the divorce. You might remember uh, late last year uh, when we talked about Flat River Group buying Greater Than Games. Right. Well, 
as part of that deal, uh, there was an announcement made today by Chris Kirkman, the uh, former head of Dice Hate Me Games, which uh, merged back with Greater Than Games way back in 2015, uh, that they are going independent again. Part of the deal with uh, Flat River Group gives Dice Hate Me Games an exit uh, from the Greater Than Games conglomerate, and they are going independent again. So, quoting from a, a press release released earlier today, quote, Our merger in 2015 was a bold experiment to unite the brands, hoping to maintain the health and prosperity of both. Over time, the size and scope of Greater Than Games changed, and many games that fit the original vision of Dice Hate Me brand no longer fit into that, or seem to fit into that scope. Our experiment may be at an end, but both companies can and will make great games, even if apart. I look forward to returning Dice Hate Me Games to its roots. And if you want to hear all about it straight from Chris Kirkman, there a new episode of his podcast is out uh, and goes deep, deep into um, the split. As part of that split, Greater Than Games will be keeping Compounded, Bottom of the Ninth, and Legends of Sleepy Hollow. And Dice Hate Me will uh, get the remaining stock of games and is taking the uh, Fate of the Other Gods, Spires, and Dark Dealings. Question. Yes. Is Chris the type of cat that says roots or roots? I know Chris. He's got a little bit of an accent. He's from the uh, the, the southern east coast, so I would say roots. Mm. Then you read that copy wrong. Just saying. I'll allow it. That's all I got. I'm just I'm just giving you crap. That's fair. Mm. I earn it. Do you though? Do you? Yeah, I do. Mm. I really do. Okay. I really do. Because all you've done is give me nothing but love today, and all I've got for you is snark. Uh, but how is it different from any day? I don't know, man. Maybe I'm, I'm supposed to be positive with you. You were really down on yourself before. I, I remember vowing in an episode never to talk poorly of you again, so maybe I need to knock this off. Stop. That would change. That would alter our, our, our shtick. Our shtick must not be altered. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about a king in all things, shall we? We shall. We shall. Welcome to part 16 of our 42-part series of King of All Things, uh, where we are watching Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of release date, along with the occasional extra. In this part, we are up to uh, our 15th film in the series, in distinctly in the mid-90s, with The Shawshank Redemption. I forgot to write down the director. Oh, it's Frank Danabart. Frank Danabart. Yeah. Me. And he, he also wrote the uh, adaptation and only paid uh, Stephen King a dollar quite famously for it. Uh, uh, 5000 I read that on the internet. $5,000. Oh, there you go. $5,000. It's a dollar Still for a, students. A paltry sum. A paltry sum. And, and you know what? He framed it and sent it back to him. So he never cashed that check. Anyway, made for a budget of $25 million. It made $73 million. Directed by Frank. I am totally blanking on his life. Darabont. Darabont. Thank you. Frank Darabont. Widely considered one of the best uh, Stephen King adaptations, and I believe one of the few that it was actually up for an Academy Award. So let's circle back around to Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction and uh, Shawshank were up for Oscars in the same year, and they both lost. That's a rough year, man. They both lost <laughs> to frickin' Forrest Gump. A movie which, frankly, does not hold up all that no. well. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a problem with it. Some, now, some now, given, now given, best pictures rarely are culturally culturally relevant, you know, as as time wears on. 
I don't really care where you are on the Shawshank Pulp Fiction divide. I, I people will argue it both ways. I'm I'm certainly not on the Pulp Fiction thing. I will say this: Pulp Fiction is a better movie than Forrest Gump, <laughs> and so is Shawshank Redemption. And I think the good movies may have split the vote a little bit. I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, I mean you're not wrong. Well, I mean, let's start with the basic question: How do you think it held up? In most regards, it held up okay. Okay, so let's. Okay, so it's a. You know, well, it's a period piece. Well, it's, so it's, you, you, we also have to take period no, no, into we don't. account. Okay, it, you know, Shawshank Redemption. It's been on TBS like every day forever. Yeah, yeah we don't. Like, we don't need to describe this. You've seen it. Everybody's seen it. Okay, so this is the thing: Pulp Fiction and them having comments. They. Uh, in a segment of their movie, they both use homosexuality as like a sinister evil thing uh, where, where yes. a villain has it uh, and and is using it menacingly and like male rape is on the table and in Pulp Fiction explicitly happens. <laughs> and it's not a good look. Not going to argue Pulp Fiction, but it definitely didn't need to be in this movie because uh, uh, in the book, uh, uh, what's his face? Tim Robbins. I can never remember his character's name. Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne uh, gets uh, $500 into prison up his butt. And uh, they could have just made it about some asshole who's trying to find out where his money is and get paid. And because it doesn't matter that the, they're, the people who are menacing him are gay. They just do it to ma- give it an ick factor. And it's kind of gross. And it didn't hold up well. Yeah, agreed. That is one of the more troublesome elements of, the, of it. I don't know, man. That, that was the part that, that kind of threw me out of the movie a little bit. And also, you know what? You know what else threw me out of the movie a, a bit? I have seen this movie like a billion times because it's on TBS, or at least it was, all the time so yeah, much for like a good solid decade yeah yeah and uh you know i was talking to gina about it and like you know where where i'm gonna argue it'd be placed on our list but like that was the problem i was having with it like it, it there was like i hadn't seen misery in probably 20 years and so it surprised me because i didn't remember it like clearly you know but i i have like muscle memory about the shawshank redemption like beat for beat like i i i watched it and it was like putting on a comfortable glove you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so it's kind of hard to tell where it actually places because again like i'm i i, I don't know uh, you know what i mean it's 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 kind of a weird thing to just have i mean there's there's with with the exception of the the troublesome scene we already discussed there is some really good filmmaking uh, n- on display no doubt here. no doubt really amazing story arcs like no doubt what they do with red is is like chilling like his his whole take on institutionalism and and the fear that he has regarding it is nothing short of amazing. The use of hope, which is something we don't see a lot of in Stephen King's universe. True. The scene where where Andy basically temporarily does a rebellion by by playing the marriage of Figaro over the the speakers of the prison is a remarkable moment. Like. There's just so much to like here. It is a genuinely good film. Maybe people should uh, watch this movie when we talk about prison reform a little bit, because, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's too out of place to say that, you know, taking away hope might be a uh, not a bug of prison, but a feature. Maybe one we shouldn't do. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, no, that's fair. That is 100% fair. I don't think what happens to Red and his predecessor, who I also forgot the name of, the old guy. Brooks. Brooks. I don't think think that's entirely uncommon. I have a feeling that happens. No, not at all. Not at all. I have a feeling that happens. So on that that regard, it is is very good because there's a lot of like prison movies that uh, 
I don't know if romantic's the right word, but a lot of the prison movies I've seen either come into the 1970s exploitation vibe, because those are all over everywhere. Um, also, uh, or like, you know, Escape from Alcatraz and stuff like that. And again, this movie is also about escaping, but it's got a much different message about it because, you know, Andy is not a bad guy. You come to find out, you know, he's just, uh, you know, I was watching it and, uh, I was thinking, uh, the way they describe Andy's character, he almost sounds like he's autistic. Uh, you know, like he's kind of aloof and, you know, just doesn't really know how to handle social situations correctly. And so people think he's weird. And, you know, people interpret him as cold and calculating when he's just, you know, just doesn't know how to react in these cases all that well. I don't know. It was interesting. Again, not without its issues, but I I, I think that there's a lot of good in this film. I, I, think, I think it's right underneath The Shining. I think it's between The Shining and Stand By Me. I'll allow it. I was definitely, I was... Which, uh, which I, puts it in a, a solid third. Yeah, I was... Uh, I'm not sure where where it ranks. I've been having a hang of it being above or below The Shining. Yeah, you know, I honestly I am too. Except we have to acknowledge the the shortcomings and the things that haven't aged. Well, there, there's shortcomings of The Shining too. I oh yeah, huge. Uh, so th- this is where I was coming down to when I was talking to Gina about this because she was curious because she she was she was debating on on if it was better than Misery and I was arguing that it wasn't and I'll tell you why. While the acting was very good in the Shawshank Redemption, there is no single performance that is mind-bendingly amazing. Well, and and here's the thing. Misery does what it does with two actors. But Kathy Bates' performance in that was mind-bendingly good. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, and even Pet Cemetery, Like, I'd argue that uh, Herman Munster did a better performance than anybody in the Shawshank Redemption because it, it just it was it was just so captivating. It's like our discussion on Peter Parker, you know, like, like, no, this is the the perfect Peter Parker because they don't excel at any one thing, but they also don't let you down. It's, it's like that solid. Yeah. It's a solid performance. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like, like, but it's not a standout. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. And Kathy Bates was a standout. Yeah. And and even Jack Nicholson, like say what you will about the filmmaking. Like, oh yeah. The filmmaking was trash, but that's on the director. Yeah. Jack Nicholson was a standout. And Shelley Duvall and. Not so much the Her, kid. Herman Munster was a standout, uh, you know, yeah. like um, even even why is Silver Bullet in ninth place right now? Because <laughs> Nick Nolte was a standout. No, it's the Busey. It was the Busey. Or, and not Nick Nolte, for God's sakes. The, the, yeah, the Busey. The Busey. I think taking into account its, its shortcomings and the fact that there are no standouts, I'm very comfortable giving it third. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Nobody's acting was like below an eight. In, in this, like everybody was real good. My wife was tickled pink. The, uh, the guy that she knows as the sheriff from Roswell. Cause she, that was like her teen heartthrob show. He, uh, he was the, the guy who really liked uh, Pat Boone records. I, I forget his name, but he had a little bit of a stutter. She was watching that and yeah. she was amazed. She's like, wow. Cause I always see that guy's kind of the asshole villain in all of the TV I watched when I was a kid. And here he is playing kind of, kind of a nice guy with a little bit of a stutter, like not his normal type. And she's like, Oh my God, he could act. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Everybody here is acting well above average. Like everybody here is a solid eight. It's just nobody, nobody ever clips over that either. But the, the, the whole movie is, is very good. The message of hope is quite nice, uh, especially these days. Um, you know, it's got a little bit of a heist thing, which is fun. Everybody likes a good heist. It's it shot absolutely to perfection. Oh, yeah, like, that too. The, the camera work in that film is. Yeah, no, the direction is, is grade A, like grade A. 
Yeah, I mean, there's just there's there's a reason it's in the top five. I mean, there's just really good movies up here. Um, but I I think I'm I'm very comfortable parking it at third place. So to to recap, our new top five, our new top five after the Shawshank Redemption is Misery, The Shining, The Shawshank Redemption, Stand by Me, and Salem's Lot, the TV miniseries from 1977. This has unfortunately knocked Pet Cemetery out of fifth place, down into sixth. Honestly, but still a solid, solid, solid movie that is well above some of the trash that we have at the bottom, including The Running Man, Firestarter, Cujo, Lawnmower Man, and Carrie, our bottom five. You know, I gotta say, uh, looking at this top five, Pet Cemetery definitely does not deserve to be in the top five. But It's not gonna... It, it, yeah, it, it, it was not meant to stay there. Yeah, but all these other movies... It was there because of a lack of other content that, that would push it down. We knew this moment was coming. Yeah, but you know what? You know what, though? Like, this top five? Like, I, I'm, I'm sure... I'm, I'm pretty sure Salem's Lot's probably gonna get dethroned sooner or later. But uh, this top five is actually pretty solid. Like, I could... I, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is a good top five of Stephen King movies. And we haven't even gotten all through it yet. And and I know Salem's Lot is going to get picked off sooner or later. And possibly even Stand By Me. Maybe. But, uh, yeah. You know what? This is a good top five. I'm comfortable calling this a top five. I'm actually not calling... I'm not, I'm not comfortable with our bottom five, to be quite blunt. Because uh, Firestarter's sin is it's boring, but it's not actually that bad. And uh, The Running Man... Well, it has its its issues and its eightiesness and all that. It's not it's not Cujo and the Lawnmower Man and Carrie Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I don't think it's gonna. I think there will be more separation. See, here's the problem with the bottom five right now. It's it's on a list, but it doesn't necessarily illustrate the gulf and the gulf that exists between Christine and the Running Man is huge. And the gulf that ex- that exists between Firestarter and Cujo is huge. Yeah, like they're they're thirteenth and fourteenth because of a lack of content, but that's not representative of how how much of a leap you're making going going from those two positions. And, and you know what? You know what? Thinner's coming up, man. And I I have a feeling I have a feeling that one's made out of. I life. have a feeling Thinner's going to be a hot mess. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big guy, Jonathan. I have a feeling that there's going to be some fat shaming in that one, and it's gonna it's gonna not sit well with me. <laughs> I'm a little worried about thinner. I got to be honest with you. Dolores Claiborne kind of got mixed reviews when it came out, which is next on our list, right? Yes, it is. That is next up. 1995's Dolores Claiborne, which let's see, what's it on? Oh, it's on Prime Video. Oh, it's on Showtime. Son of a bitch. Oh. Damn it, Dolores. Ah. Uh. Oh God! I hope the library has it. We we we've got some real stinkers coming up. I know, I know. The golden age is, is oh, soon oh. at an end. I am I'm I'm seeing thinner. I'm seeing another TV miniseries. <laughs> I remember why I put The Shining on there. It was a reminder to me to check it because the movie I actually wanted for my second extra, which is that that uh, Bollywood movie based off of um, Smoter's Inc. or Sm- Quitter's Inc. Quitter's Inc. Uh, I, I was at this point going to check to see if it was still available in any shape or form streaming. And if it wasn't, I was going to, I was going to slot the shining in. That was my plan. That was my plan. Well, I, I think the hot mess express will be redefining the bottom of the, of the, of the list here in, in the relatively near future. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. I, you know, I have honestly, I mean, I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces of the green mile, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. So I'm. Oh man, there's 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 a part in there that's gonna 
Broily dropkick you in the feels, man. Yeah, I'm, that movie made me ball like a baby in the movie theaters. Yeah, I'm wondering where that's going to land. I don't know. I, I want to see if it holds up in some other regards. It, it's been quite a while since I watched it. I just remember that there's one part in particular uh, that just will utterly kick you right in the feels. Mm. Savagely kick you in the feels. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our King of All Things, which means it is now time for our Year in the Life segment. This is where we looked at what we did a year ago. In the year ago, a year ago, well, we were we were chasing uh, we were chasing some some impossibility. Yeah, I forgot my dice. Episode one hundred eight. That is the yellow sign. We reviewed the night floors, the first part, and arguably the best part of Impossible Landscapes. A hundred percent, the best part. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Now looking looking back at that adventure, in the long run, uh, that's an adaptation of a, of an adventure that existed in a previous Delta Green book that he used to build the entire campaign off of. Yeah. It's probably the best part because it just, it's, it's the part that has the most amount of potential, you know, as the thing spreads out in front of you and introduces you to all the weird. And it's uh, it's good. It's a good, creepy, weird adventure. And I liked it. No, absolutely. It is. And uh, yeah, we played that sucker all the way through and they haven't picked it up since. So that's more Delta green that we haven't dealt with. (laughs) (laughs) We are certainly not playing a year later. Yeah, wasn't for lack of trying, because uh, I pitched to you guys playing Delta Green and just playing a bunch of random adventures because I had a ton of... Ra- and some of the little adventures are rad. There's this one called The Last Equation It's uh, and The Observer Effect. Those are both really, really good. And you want to know what the villain is in both of those adventures, actually? What's that? Villainous math. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, math? <laughs> you get back in your box. <laughs> Get back in the box, math. Uh, yeah, no, no. It's it's like it's literally math run amok. It's it's great. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. Uh yeah, some of the some of the Delta Green adventures are just phenomenal. Like they're they they do that that perfect horror thing, like uh like the Weeping Angels episode of Doctor Who, uh, where they take something mundane and normal and stuff you don't ordinarily think about, like I don't know, math. And all of a sudden, you know, you you after you after you go through that, you you kind of look at it and you're like is that statue going to come alive and zap me in the past? Is that math equation going to drive me insane? Like, you know, it's good times. It's good times. That's like the best kind of horror. The the one that kind of unsettles you later when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't, we kind of harped on Delta Green a little bit last time when we said uh, Nice Black Agents is a better game. I felt a little bad. I felt like we were getting away from the, uh, the positive podcast, especially when I dunked on Picard as much as I did. I'm like, oh, are we getting away from one of our core tenets here? <laughs> and by we, I mean me, because I was the one who was doing it both times. I'm sorry. Hey, man, I just work here. It's mm, fair. <laughs> Let's see what else was going on in that episode. It's hard to believe that was only a year ago, because that simultaneously feels like forever ago and 20 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. One of us was watching Animaniacs. Blitzkrieg. I wonder. I, that sounds like you. Blitzkrieg. Oh man, I like that game. Man, yeah, I like that game a lot. You and Had- I played that. Hadrian's Wall. That came up. Oh, you're oh. watching Jupiter's Legacy, I guess, because I didn't watch that. Uh, Jurassic World Evolution, Mortal Kombat 11, No Time to Bond, Ring Fit Adventure, Ring Fit Adventure. Oh, we watched Skyfall. Oh, that's a high point. Ooh, that was a high point. That was a high point. Oh, and Title Blades. They just had that Kickstarter for Title Blades 2, actually, and the associated role playing game for it. That just happened. I think it's over now. It is. It is. Sorry to be. Sorry to be you. And I, I don't know. I got nothing. 
I, I was getting that Kickstarter pumped to me all over the place because I have backed uh, Monty Cook Games Kickstarters previously. And so they're like, hey, we got a new game out. You want to play Tidal Blades, the role-playing game? And I'm like, no, but I would definitely, I, I wouldn't run it, but I'd definitely play it. But I don't need that book in my life. But ugh, it's tempting because that art was sexy. Yeah, was very, so, very good. So good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm totally going to back this Kickstarter for the reboot of D20 Modern. That's starting tomorrow. So you should get it to everybody out there. That's the one that's going to have Pacific Rim, the role-playing game. Oh. Just saying, buddy. Just Text saying. me that link tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how deep I'm going to go in on it because, like, the season of adventure with all those adventures, I, I think I'd be lucky to run two. I, I definitely could see myself running one sometime in my life, but I don't think I need to get all eight. So I'm, I'm like, should I just get one? Because they've been they've been hinting that if they meet stretch goals, they might add in different ones too. So I'm like, hmm, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But I might get one of those. I might. I'm kind of torn because Pacific Rim has kaiju. <laughs> so does Kong Skull Island. But there's something appealing about Total Recall, you know? Yeah. Out of all of them, it's the near future. There's Mars. There's mutants. There's Mars. I don't know. You had me at Mars. I know. And then, you know, playing a role-playing game where you question if you're actually real or playing a role-playing game. There's something there you could play with. It might be interesting. If you could pull it off right, get kind of meta. Fade to white at the end. That's him getting the aneurysm, you know, or the, not the aneurysm, the, 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 the lobotomy. That's why it fades to white. <laughs> Do you know that? Because yeah. you don't you don't fade to white in movies, you fade to black. So fading to white means other things. Spoiler alert for like a thirty year old movie. Schwarzenegger went at that. Oh, I just I'm, I'm having like I'm having a really good like flashback of uh, the cab, the robot cab guy, who's voiced by the the doctor from uh, Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Picardo. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I I need to watch that movie. I loved Robert Picardo when he showed up in a Call of Duty game as uh, Robert McNamara. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, he he did the voice for um, a a really accurate model of Robert McNamara in the first Black Ops game. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. The first Black Ops game is actually one of the best uh, best storylines in 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 any first person shooter. Like it works so well. Total Recall is not streaming anywhere. You know what? You know what? I'm actually inspired right now. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna rent that from the library. All right, you need to text me when you do that because I will, I will follow you on that journey. <laughs> it's been a minute since I watched Total Recall. Total Recall, the perfect response training for puppies and adult dogs? No. Uh, pff, sold. Total Recall with, uh, with the penguin from the Batman? No. Total Recall with Schwarzenegger? Yes, that is what <laughs> I want. The Blu-ray? Yeah, well, I'll take the Blu-ray. Cool. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our year in the life segment. It is now, unfortunately, time for the end of our show because we do not have a review today. That is totally on me. I just have not had time to prep a game. I'm sorry. And then you said, hey, do you have a game you can you can review it? I'm like, with like six hours notice? No, we could review Dracula stuff. I've got all the Dracula in my head, Jonathan. We could we could. Go. I wanted to get to it this past weekend, but we had three soccer games and it just we... couldn't even get home could go down the rabbit hole on dracula sir i could give you a dissertation on dracula there will come a time when we get to the end of our campaign 
where we will we will discuss Dracula dossier. Yeah, well, we were we brief. I I I think we like for like a hot second briefly flirted with maybe doing Knights Black Agents, but then we're like we're in a game with Ray and you know Gina, and we're at the point where we need an excuse to bring Ray on the podcast anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe we should just wait for them to be available and that's what we talk about because we have Agreed. the shared experience we have the shared experience and i think we've got enough time under our belt to be able to really speak to the system so yeah yeah all right so that brings us to the end of the episode which means it's time of course for our closing thoughts robert any final thoughts i want you to i want you to take a look back jonathan i want you to take a look at hollywood and i want you to think of just how many sci-fi movies that you probably like that are bastardized versions of Philip K. Dick stories because they're everywhere, man. Everywhere. Oh my gosh, yeah. They yeah. really are. Yeah, it's like a Hollywood tradition at this point. Like, take a perfectly good Philip K. Dick story and, like, just just bend it until it's an unrecognizable, although in many cases, very pleasing shape. But, <laughs> but yes, yes, Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick stories. Not the least of which is Total Recall, because dang, they 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 messed that story up twice. Twice now they've messed that one up. Yeah, really badly too. If you <laughs> have read the original, yeah. it's not a subtle screw up. <laughs> By the way, uh, while we're on the movie uh, movie front, did you hear that they are uh, moving forward with a Robotech live action? Well, of course they are. Well, I mean, it's it's been described before but uh now it actually has a director uh the director of the hawkeye series you know what you know what i uh i'll i'll quote another 80s uh staple and say i'll buy that one for a dollar because they've been talking about that for years until it actually happens i i i will i will expect it when i see it this is the first time in a long time i've seen press releases for it though (sighs) which is not to say that sony's got a great track record of announcing things that they don't end up making Oh, but wait, they do have a great track record of doing just that. So, yeah, yeah. Positive I, podcast. Here's hoping because I would love to see me some live action Robotech. I would like to see me some live action Macbeth. Yeah, there you go. Like, I'm who, down. Who you know, we want- still need to sit down and write that. <laughs> I No, I'm not even 100. I'm not 1000% serious. We need to write Macbeth. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because once again, everybody, if Shakespeare is truly universal, you could put giant robots in it and it should still work. Just saying. <laughs> All he has to do is scream out, fetch me with my longsword, and you could you could just like have a giant ass mech there. No, 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 no. When he puts his armor on, put my armor on, and climbs into the yes. pipe. Yes. It's good. It's good. I don't know how you fit an action sequence in there, but there has to be a way. There must be a way. This is the way, Jonathan. This is the way. Um, I mean, like... Don't forget that that a big chunk of Macbeth is that there's a war going on. No, it's true. You, you true. just take him and and have Macbeth be in Macbeth. Mm, can you imagine though saying saying Shakespeare lines while dodging missile swarms, anime missile swarms? Yes, yes, I can. Fair is foul, and then there's a huge bloom of missiles. And foul <laughs> is fair. Oh, you are picking up what I'm putting down, Jonathan. The, oh, I, you know I am, baby. It it freaking writes itself, man. Like I don't know how. Are you kidding me? He takes the he takes the giant like sword and rears it up, and there's a moment of pause. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, and then wham comes down with it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I had this idea in freaking high school, man. I don't know how it doesn't exist now. It 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 seems it just seems. It, ha- it doesn't exist because it's waiting for us to write it. <sighs> You've given me a reason to live. <laughs> All right, was that a good final thought? 
Riffin on Macbeth again. <laughs> what? Can the devil speak true? Boom! There goes a cannon. <laughs> like does the extreme close-up of the of the cannon it says the devil and slides along to the barrel. Kaboosh! <laughs> yes! Yes! Oh my god, I'm so down with this. <laughs> Uh, the, the, you know, the hero is walking away from the camera and looks over his shoulder without exposing himself completely. You know, the classic anime pose. Right, right. Come what come may, time and hour runs through the roughest day. And then, boom, flurry of the cape and he walks away. Yeah, yeah. I think we gave that one out for free to the world like a year or two ago and it still hasn't. And nobody's acted on it. So that just tells me that the world is letting us know that this is ours. This is ours, my friend. <laughs> this is ours. All right, all right. That's enough of this. That's enough of this insanity. Jonathan, close us out. Things bad begun make strong themselves by ill. Have I ever mentioned that I have kind of like a weird Shakespeare fetish? No. Do you know there's a Shakespeare role-playing game? Shut your face. Oh, yeah, no, there's there's a freaking... Hold on. This is great radio. This is awesome radio. I'm going to be cutting so much of this out. Like the... Uh, when, when I cut the music in, you know, and it like slowly rises, like it's just going to be so slowly rising because there's just five minutes of us nonsense. What's it called? Uh, the play is the thing. I think it's called. Oh, there we go. It's called Forsooth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'll send you a link. Give me a second. <laughs> yes, Jonathan. There is the Shakespearean RPG. It is called Forsooth by Spoiled Flush Games. Ew. Ew. That, that, ew. No, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for the spoiled flesh. Can you imagine just an anime character sitting in the throne room, like in the in the shadows, and just looking up with that classic anime pose and screaming out, "Oh, full of scorpions is my mind, dude! This is friggin' perfect." Forsooth is a award-winning Shakespeare RPG that challenges three to six players to improvise one of the bard's greatest lost works. There is no need for a game master, no need to prepare anything in advance, and the rules take minutes to learn. If you love theater or literature or being a complete ham for the amusement of your friends, this game is for you. Jonathan, that doesn't describe you at all. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding me? I'm about to buy you a ticket so that you can come here and we can do Macbeth the role-playing game using the giant killer robots robots. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Close that, Jonathan. This, this insanity must. Happen. Are you in a puddle right now? I feel like you're sitting in a puddle right now. No, no, I'm sitting. If there's a puddle, this is my bedroom, sir. If there's a puddle up here, that means water's leaking through my 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 floor to my garage. That'd be bad. I thought it was just drool, drool for for the the glory of our our, our new idea. You know, I'm not much of a drooler. Not so new. I'm not much of a drooler. I bear a charmed life. It's the last. The last quote I'm giving you from from Macbeth. Okay, close this out, man. Oh, there there is another game called The Play is the Thing. I thought there was. Are there two Shakespeare? Are, do we live? Of course we do. Yeah, no. Now the, the real is... question is, which one supports Macbeth better? <laughs> All right, The Play is the Thing is a storytelling game about actors who want to rewrite Shakespearean roles they've been given. So it's not creating your own play. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's rewriting. Yeah, I, no, I think Forsooth is better because that's the one about making your own. And I, I, I think making your own fits... Because this one's about redoing plot points of Shakespeare plays, which we want to do Macbeth. We just want Max in Macbeth. I, I mean, like, this needs to happen now. Like, legitimately, <laughs> even now I need to sit down and, and translate this to screen. 
you know, we've been talking about playing one shots, and I'm just gonna say I'm pretty sure Ray is a theater nerd. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that on the table. Pretty sure. Based off of things that Ray has said. I'm in. I'm in, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> Alrighty, well that brings us to the end of our episode. I'm gonna go salivate on thoughts of giant mechs and screaming out Shakespeare quotes. Really, 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 really shaking a fist at Star Trek VI when we do that. Um, and, um, yeah, be excellent to one another. And party on. Party on, Jonathan. I was trying to make it like a Shakespeare quote, but I just couldn't think of a good one off the top of my head. Yeah, you kind of had a pause like the walk-in and not like a, not like a real person, you know? Oh my god, wait, what have I forgotten? Dune Watch 2022, Christopher Walken's going to be Emperor, uh, the Emperor, uh, Padishah, the, however many he is. He's right. lots. Right. Amazing, hello, Paul, the spice, it's gotta flow. It's gonna be so good. If anybody's gonna get, like, an Oscar-worthy performance out of Christopher Walken, it's going to be Denis Villeneuve. Or as I like to call him, Daddy. <sighs> Dune Watch has officially begun again. Has it just? No, because it never ended. <laughs> let, let, Jonathan, let, let, let our audience go. No. No. There, there's going to be a part two. I'm super stoked. And it's not that far away. It's only next year. Let our audience go, Jonathan. I'm done. I'm done. I'm stopping recording. All right. You're free. Good night. Fly. Fly away. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 